Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and today we have just one of my favorite human beings on earth and therapist and equine extraordinaire, Amanda Cruz, LPC too. LPC in the last, what, month? I think 12 days. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That Thank is a you. huge accomplishment. Whew, yeah, it's a lot. That that whole process is grueling and wonderful all at the same time. I have a, a new appreciation for it now that I've gotten through it. Um, there's a, a huge learning curve in that and I've, I've grown so much so I actually value those 3,000 hours I had to just the work part of it once I got the PLPC so, yeah, yeah people don't know but you know all the licensings have you know different hour requirements that you have to get so you go to grad school we go to undergrad and you go to grad school then you do like 500 hours in grad school and you get out of grad school and and when I was a LPC intern it was called an intern so you graduate and you're called a a counselor intern. So you're not even Ooh. called like an LPC. And I just got back from uh, my pride was, I mean, wounded. It's like intern. Like I was just an intern in grad school. I have a master's degree. I'm working, right? I'm, I'm making money. And it was CI behind your name. So it was like counselor intern. And no, yeah. now it's provisionally licensed. PLPC. Yeah. Yes. Or uh, LMSW and you're working on your clinical or I think this, what's the other one? Uh, LMFT or PLMFT or something like that. Um, so yeah, well, that's huge. I mean, you've been here for what? Two years. Two years. Yeah. yeah, a little over two years now. So Amanda's an LPC here with Clint Davis Counseling, and she does works with families and couples and individuals, and really likes to work with individuals and um, no kids, right? And working with kids, twelve and up, yeah. or really thirteen, fourteen. But yeah, that's about my yeah desire as well. Um, tell let's let's tell the listeners a little bit of how what brought you to to you know, us and kind of that cool story. Cause I think that's pretty awesome. Um, I don't know which story you're talking about cause we have a lot of stories. Sure. Well, let's, well, yeah. Okay. You, you tell your version. Okay. Yeah. Of, um, like when I reached out to you at the hub, probably. Oh, okay. At the hub. Oh, wow. So cause that was the first time we met, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so in 2016, I, I had been wanting to serve uh with purchase not for sale at the hub and or i'd wanted to serve in a ministry like that and i discovered them at i think a beth moore conference or something they handed out a little flyer and i said oh wow i've been meaning to do this and i finally wrangled a friend into going with me and and so we went to signed up for the equipped training with the Mm -hmm. hub and i think you presented at that training probably 
Uh, I'm I'm not real clear because at this point I've been to equipped like three times yeah. <laughs> because every time I would have a friend that said, oh, I, I really want to do that. I would be like, oh, yeah, come on, let's go. I'll go to the training with you. Yeah. And um, it's really a great training and really opens your eyes to, I mean, me just being straight middle class. I had no idea how people became homeless or how a woman could end up in prostitution. And I think that training is, is really, really good. They do a great job. And you did a great job Thanks. in those presentations, too. So I'm sure I, I spoke to you at one of those trainings, one of those times. And um, it may have even mentioned wanting, thinking about being a counselor, because mm -hmm. that's kind of when I was warming up to the idea and, and you were very kind and encouraging towards me about that. Um, and I had a whole life before <laughs> then. Yeah. Um, this is a, a later career for me. So it was nice to be encouraged in that and, and probably impacted my decision to ultimately <laughs> sign up, take the GRE, get my master's, do all the things. Like this has been yeah. a six-year process for me for sure and so after i did all those things made the decision went to school graduated i was a plpc which means i had graduated and i had the provisional license i was working at um, brentwood i think i had reached out to you i reached out to you when i was in my master's program about being an intern okay and you said no which was fine yeah i don't think at the time like we had any capacity to, we, like, we didn't have, I think you reached out when we were still at Olive, we were like four or five of us. We had either just gotten like an administrator or we had maybe had one for, I mean, a couple months. And so I was like an intern, somebody I'm responsible for, like I have no time. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I was still, if somebody called in, they were calling my cell phone and oh, wow. I was referring everybody that the clients. So yeah. like for a good year and a half, two years, which you know, in the long run is a short run, but I was the administrator and the leader and the, the disseminator and the staffer. And then I was also full-time, like really part-time helping purchase. I mean, I was doing yeah. 20 hours down the hall mm -hmm. of kind of pro bono work, getting paid for five of those hours and trying to help and really, you know, help establish programming and all that stuff for human trafficking and poverty. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there was a ton of people, you know, back in the day who reached out and I was just like, I have no, I have no capacity. Right. And I think I saw you too there because I would teach yep, a class. Yep. yep at, we ran into each other. Yep. At what was that building? That church? Uh, there was a, it was a, on, was it on Olive? It was on Olive. Yeah. Uh, uh, Highland Center. The Highland Center. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I was in and out of there all the time because I was teaching a class that's or right. go into a training. Yeah. And I ran into you there and that's when you're like, oh, you, you know, encouraged me to go back and get my degree and that's what I'm doing. And I think that's when I was said something like if you, you know, I don't remember if I said, if you get your license or whatever, call me or I probably did. But Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And then, I, like I said, I reached out and you said no, which I, I, you know, I don't take that personally. I understand completely. And here's what I see because I, I kind of see the journey of things and now you're saying yes to interns. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. So I, I like that. Maybe I had a, a piece of that. Like, oh, absolutely. You definitely wanted to do it, um, but just capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm lost. What was the question? Yeah. So then, uh, so from my perspective, that happened. And, you know, I remembered that when we started talking about it. But um, I hit a wall mentally and emotionally and uh, 19, I think. Yeah. End of 19, October of 19. 
and seeing too many trauma clients, working with too much sex abuse and sexual trauma and all those kind of things, which is crazy now. I haven't thought about this until right now. You know, the book's coming out in November about sexual abuse prevention and trauma. And it's like mm-hmm. all of that, 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 that thing for me where I collapsed and realized I was seeing too much and hearing too much has led to this book, which is like such a God story of like, when you think you're at your worst and it's a mess and you're, you know, you've kind of imploded yet. God kind of builds those things out of, out of those ashes, this beauty. So anyway, so yeah, so I started going to equine therapy over in Texas Mm -hmm. and going, I I needed something and I needed something different than talk therapy. And I needed to be out of the city so I can get out of here and I need to be outside and doing something. So I started that and she mentioned, that was the first time I'd ever heard of natural life ship. And uh, I was like, I have no clue what that is. And so anyway, so yeah, did that. JC did that. And, um, she went to a, um, four day intensive counseling retreat to do some work. And I'd been to one before and yeah, she got back on a Sunday and then I think I checked my email and you would email me. Yeah. Yeah. I remembered during that time I was, gosh, I was working at the hospital. I was working for LACG and I was a PLPC trying to get my hours. And I, I felt like I was dead in the water with the equine thing because I was completely by myself and I know on your, um, on the website, it, Clint Davis, uh, counseling and integrative wellness, there's a blurb on there where it talks about cutting edge, uh, yeah, 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 that like you're interested in new things. And right. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there to see if, if he's really interested in <laughs> new cutting edge things. So I typed this email and, uh, I had noticed the the Bozier office. I had seen the emblem on the Bozier office, and I think I thought, well, I'll just say, "Hey, I'm interested in this office, and I'm doing this equine thing. What's up?" Yeah, and your email was like, "I don't know if you know anything at all, <laughs> or would be interested <laughs> at all in like equine therapy. You know, this horses, blah blah blah." And so when I was reading it, JC literally had gotten back from it. It had been so. Um, revolutionary in my life and in my emotional care for my own self the last like two years it was just such a god thing i mean i was i mean immediately called you and i think i laughed when i called you i don't think you didn't know who i was so i think you thought i was a client i thought you were a telemarketer you're like what Uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> Which now knowing you, I love that. Um, so I was like, Hey, uh, this is Clint Davis with Clint, you know, and you're like, Oh my gosh. And so we just had a beautiful conversation and yeah. And then we got started on the kind of journey of what are we doing and how's natural lifemanship play into this and getting certified. And both of us have been through a lot of that and still got a ways to go. Yeah. I think we're both in our, you know, consultation internship, you know, get the hours thing. Right. Right. It's such a, I, I love that it's such a long certification process because it, we really have to be educated on what we're doing. And it's completely different than anything else I've ever done with a horse. I'm, yeah. I'm well, a you're horse. a horse person, right? I mean, you're a, so they say, yeah, yeah. A, a horse woman. I've, I've, uh, been around horses my whole life. I've always loved horses. Um, so it's a different perspective, even for me, what the natural lifemanship model proposes. Yeah. Tell, I love the story. Can you tell the story of kind of, uh, when you went on the, just kind of your connection of God and, and equine therapy. And when that all came together, when you were on that, uh, that ride. Hmm. 
on the cross country ride? Yes. <laughs> you don't have to do the long version, but just, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you just want to pull all my crazy out, right? It's fine. Yeah. I had, um, at age 30, I had like a really, really dark time in my life and, and a lot of depression, a lot of depression. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't diagnosed with depression, but on paper, my life looked fine. Like I was functioning. I was going to work. I, I had a decent job. I could pay for things. I had horses. I had friends, but I was so, so just depressed. Isn't that the crazy thing about it? It's like, and that's what people need to realize is depression, you know, especially when you're dealing with clinical depression, you know, a lot of times it's chemistry and not character. There's just an underlying issue. And so people can smile, they can function. Not everybody who struggles with depression is in their room in the dark, you know, not being able to get up. Although that is a thing and really difficult for people. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, we all struggle with a level of depression and anxiety mm -hmm. that's that's difficult, and you look perfectly fine to everybody around you. Yeah, yeah, and that was definitely true for me. And and I think the thing that stands out in my mind was the isolation and the loneliness. Mm. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody, and that just promotes that isolation even more. Yep. And um, so I wound up, uh, I was far from God at the time. I had not, I'd pretty much been running from God for about 15 years, doing my own thing, living kind of a hedonistic life. I worked at the casino. I did what I wanted to do, just had fun. But that particular night, it got so bad that I, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to make it through the night. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I wanted to. And I prayed <laughs> that prayer, um, nothing eloquent about it it was that oh god help me because that's all i could say mm -hmm. and that's that's what i needed and god did step in and help me he helped me by easing my mind enough to let me go to sleep and wake up the next day knowing that i had to do things different and so one of the things that i did different was i just started looking around and looking for opportunities to do anything else anything I could do that wasn't what I had been doing because mm -hmm. what I had been doing was not working um and I found this trail ride it was uh called riding for the children it was a trip for the association of gospel rescue missions we were raising money and canned goods it started in Alabama it's not that funny it's, everybody does this stuff, no it's right? awesome I mean I just knowing you and loving you it's just so <laughs> funny how God like just gets in there and does crazy stuff man yeah, so I took a leave of absence from my job. And fortunately, I was I've always been a saver, so I could I could do that and I had a roommate who could support, you know, take care of the home and the animals and everything. So, yeah, I took off by myself in my little two-horse trailer to meet up with these complete strangers in Alabama, and I traveled by horseback across Alabama, Mississippi, little corner of Tennessee where Memphis is and almost all the way across Arkansas. And how many miles was that? Like 422 miles Jeez. in 30 days. Yeah, it was wild. Um, and on that trip, I remembered one, one of my problems with God was always the problem of evil. Like, how can evil exist? And that goes back to college. Like, we talked about that in philosophy class when I was in undergraduate school back at Mississippi State. And that always stuck with me. Like, why does evil exist 
if God is all knowing and all good and all powerful. And for me, always been a thinker, always tried to resolve things through thought and cognitive things, problem solving. I never really bothered with my emotions or my body sensations at all, which is why horses wound up being key for me to heal. But that thinking part of my brain would not let go of that. And we made it to Tupelo, Mississippi on the trail ride. And we were at the first evangelical church in Tupelo. This was April of 2001. And that church was just amazing. Like they, they were having dinner on the grounds. They had a big party that day. Everybody came out. And I remember just feeling so loved and so welcome by these church members that I didn't, we didn't even know. I never met those people before that day. And some of them took me into their home and fed me spaghetti and let me wash my clothes and take a bath in their bathtub. Now, y'all, I had been riding on the side of the road for days like we took showers wherever we could um i didn't have a living quarters trailer it was it was like camping um and so that act of kindness and openness and generosity really opened my eyes to what the goodness that people had and Mm -hmm. how kind and generous and giving they could be and i knew the reason they were that way is because they were believers And they were extending charity and kindness to me because that's what they wanted to do. And I thought, gosh, I want to be like that. Mm. It's like that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Out of nowhere. It just, okay, here we go. (laughs) Um, Because in 2000, when I prayed that prayer, God helped me. But I still didn't have the tools. I still didn't know how to be a Christian. And I still had so much guilt and shame from the life I had been living, Mm -hmm. um, which was far from God. I was definitely baby steps in God was, I call that a process of just drawing me back to him Mm -hmm. or drawing me to him. And, and that, that we stayed there a couple of days. It was Sunday and then Monday. And after I was met with that generosity and kindness and felt God's love through that, I wound up praying that night. Like, you know, God, I feel you. I get this. But what about evil? I couldn't let it go. It, it was stuck. And I mean, I feel like that's the that's one of the times when I really felt an answer, like I heard an answer from God. And it was, it was, he was talking in my language. He said, you know, Amanda, if everybody just did what I intended, there wouldn't be evil. Mm. And I thought, whoa. Hmm. Yeah. Not a God problem, right? (sighs) Yeah. It's got, you know, we were talking about this this weekend. Like it's, it's the covenantal issue. It's the old covenant. Right, so new, you have the Bible when it's Old Testament, New Testament. The, the word testament, actually, when you break it down, it means covenant. Mm-hmm. So it's Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so yeah. as Christians, we're supposed to read the Old Covenant through the lens of the New Covenant. And we get yeah. so mixed up because we read it as the Old Covenant is the thing that's still here, and it, it is to some degree, but not through that lens. So anyway, um, the in the Old Covenant, the problem with the covenant was not God's command or his faith it was the people can't keep the covenant yeah and that's why we're you know as christians we're no longer jewish is because we have a new covenant with christ and he he did it for us Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's um it's interesting that the problem with evil with free will is is not a god problem but it's so easy to blame him for the whole thing and go why well why you know why is this happening and he's like well yeah 
I didn't plan it that way. I had a garden and, you know, shalom and peace and harmony. And you had all that you needed within me and your relationship. And, but that dang free will. Yeah. And that dang Satan who slithered in there and lied to us in our ear. Yep. Yeah. That unlocked it for me, though. Like, it made a lot of things started to make sense. Mm. I've always had to try to figure things out. Like I said, because I, I, I did, um, I, I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about emotions. Mm. Nobody. Not like I'm talking about generations. We didn't talk, which I think that's kind of true for my gener. I'm Gen X. So, you know, we were, <laughs> if you if you look at social media, we were raised by wolves. Right. Um, <laughs> Hit a drink out of the hose in the yard. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. I walked to school at eight years old. I mean, you know, everybody did. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't a big deal. Um, which turned out great in all ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> until it didn't. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny part, right? It's like rose-colored glasses it's like there were there were so many things that were better but then there were a lot of consequences because those things do right right so yeah so you have this moment where god you know says hey here's kind of the evil problem and you're like click and there's this holy spirit moment and then what yeah so um then i'm still who i am and i i continued to muddle through working on my walk but the the thing that i still continued from that first time was I had to do something different. I had to make changes. And so I learned a lot on that ride because I was completely outside of my environment. I got to see that there were other people who did other things and there were other things to do. I didn't have to work at the casino. I didn't have to stay stuck. I could move forward. I could do other things. It was very liberating just to get outside my comfort zone and do something Mm kind of crazy. And I would recommend that to anyone who's feeling stuck. I'm not saying, you know, be, be mindful of what you choose to do and know your limitations but it's okay to challenge yourself and do something that everybody else might be looking and saying, yeah, I don't know about that. Because a lot of people thought I was crazy going mm-hmm. on that trail ride, but it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. And it let me slow everything down in life. When you're riding along the side of the road and you're traveling at four miles per hour, for 20 to 30 miles a day, you have a lot of time to think, a lot of time to reflect. Mm-hmm. And um, man, it was it was super useful for me. So I came out of that, I came back, got back into my life and um, just s- continued to, to make changes and think about things differently. And that led you up till purchased and... Yeah, yeah. Um, I met my husband in 2004. We got married in 2005. I bought my property in 2003 and lived on my own and had horses. Um, Let's see. After that, I'm trying to think. Oh, I went to school and I became a nail tech then. That was like my starter counseling job. I was a nail technician and had my own business. And during that time, I had two clients. One, uh, two clients. I had a bunch of clients. But one of my clients was a psychiatrist. And one of my clients was a counselor. And 
they're, they're, they were so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like they would, you know, count when, when you go see, I don't know, Clint, you probably don't see a nail tech, but no, I um, have before once you have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you probably didn't talk about your life. Uh, probably not. Yeah. But that's what my clients did. They yeah. came and they I, go, I do go me. get my haircut and it's the same thing, right? Yes. Hair, therapist. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of therapists out there. They, you know, they, well, what people talk to, you know, within five feet of me while they're getting their haircut is what is crazy. Like every time I'm getting my haircut, there's somebody next to me talking about stuff they should be talking about in therapy in front of a group of like 25 people and they act like no one can hear them. So yeah, it's probably the same thing with nail tech. Absolutely. And because people want connection and they want vulnerability and they're stuck in this moment and people are super bad with awkward silence. Yeah. And so most people just start blabbing and they get this same person every two weeks or every four weeks or every whatever. And so it becomes a really, you know, crazy space. Yeah. It was. And like I said, I was a nail tech for 14 years and I would say half of my clients I saw for the whole 14 years. Mm. I saw them every week or every two weeks. So we really got to know each other. Yeah. And um, I was always so interested in what they were doing in their work. They had really interesting stories. And the one time around that same time when I was just, I know it was the Holy Spirit moving me towards this, um, I, I just asked, I'm like, okay, so tell me what I need to do if I want to do what you do, if I want to be a counselor. <laughs> and she said, well, you're going to have to get a master's degree. And I said, oh, that doesn't sound good. No, and not fun or cheap. Yeah. And so she said, well, you know, spoken like a true counselor, she said, well, it's not going to cost you anything to just do some research. Mm-hmm. Like, why not check it out? And, uh, that was great advice. So I went home that afternoon, I got my laptop out and I started doing research. Oh my gosh, it's going to cost what? Mm -hmm. It's going to take how long? How many hours? I'm going to have to take the GRE. And I remember this very specific moment where I I just, I was overwhelmed by all that stuff. And I said, Nope, not going to do that. And I closed my laptop and I put it away. Um, And so I thought I was done which is really weird because I, I usually struggle with decisions, but that decision, it was pretty clear. Absolutely not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And God laughed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it was that night I was watching TV. Something came on the TV about being a counselor. That's so funny. And then the next day I saw a commercial or something about being a counselor or somebody at work was talking. Like I had a, it, it was like three different things. One was on TV, one was like a commercial, one was a personal conversation that I had with somebody. And I thought, gosh, that's just weird. This is coming up. And then Sunday was the clincher. When I went to church, I was serving on the media team, which meant I entered the sermon notes. And I was just a substitute. I didn't do that all the time. I only did it like three Sundays out of the year. But go figure, it's this Sunday that I'm doing it. And I entered the sermon notes and the title of the sermon was the right word at the right time. Mm. And it was all about counseling. So I got a double dose as I entered the sermon notes, I got it. And then again, when he was preaching directly to me, um, I finally just said, you know what? Okay, I guess I'm doing it. Mm. And I told my husband, looks like I'm going to be getting my master's degree. And that was, that was two, six, 2016 or 2017. And literally you just got your LPC and in the last little bit. 
Yep. It's so awesome. I know the whole journey. And that's a great story, Amanda. I mean, and you tell it so beautifully too. So I can tell you, you've, uh, you've done some radio back in the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Way back when. No, for real. You're great. I mean, I know you're a great storyteller in general, but you, I mean, that was, and I've heard that before, but it's, so, it's such a beautiful, ah, uh, such a good story of God and faithfulness and obedience and just, um, you know, anybody listening who hears that story, you have that story. I don't know what it is, but you might be in the middle of it. You might be in the beginning of it. You might be right at the end of it. You might have seen it in the past, but man, everybody's story is so valuable and everybody, God is wanting everybody to move and to see him and to see him move and to do miracles in in ways that you don't think that is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's bring us back to just kind of equine. So, so you and I have been working together with that. We have had, you know, 10, 20, 30 clients now and, and seen some people, um, can you tell people the difference kind of in equine assisted psychotherapy and maybe what the traditional, you know, equine therapy or equine work is? Mm. Yeah. Um, like why would someone come to us to work with a horse versus, you know, go see somebody at a farm or go, see go some, get some riding lessons? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think what, what, what you're wanting me to talk about some is the language that we use to talk about equine assisted services, which is the umbrella term for everything, like everything you can do with a horse or every thing that people can provide is going to be an equine assisted service. And under that umbrella is equine assisted learning, equine assisted psychotherapy, equine assisted therapy, therapeutic riding, riding lessons, horsemanship, eventing, all, all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, so where should we start? Well, you've worked, right? So I, I give the caveat of anybody out there who is listening to this cause you love horses and you love what horses doing, you know, I'll give the, the no crap line is what we call it. Like we're not saying that one is better than the other. No, We're trying to no. say that they're, they're different things used mm-hmm. for different moments in time and time and needs and all this kind of thing. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, therapeutic riding is a great thing. Yes, that lots of people do, and it, and it and you you have done. And yeah, do. yeah. I'm I'm certified therapeutic riding instructor. Right. And then there are people who just go ride, and they call it therapy. There are people, you know, you see the cups and the glasses, and you know, uh, who needs therapy when you have a horse? And yeah, you have all these things, and we, yeah. have, you know, we have the who needs therapy when you got jujitsu, and yeah. and everybody calls these things therapy. And so I'd say. I think one of the problems within the culture is we we will call something therapy and say, well, I don't need therapy because I do this therapeutic thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, what I've learned in the last couple of years is like, well, it's therapeutic in, in nature to go be with horses, right. but it's not necessarily psychotherapy. It's not getting oh, yeah. into the roots of why those things happen in your life and the relational pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with that I, and I've never thought about it this way, Clint, but I just thought about it then when you were talking about it. It's therapeutic. Um, That's self-care. Right. Right? That's what we're talking about. That would be self-care. And I was thinking about uh, my husband has a a motorcycle and we ride and and we call it wind therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not therapy. It is self-care and it's therapeutic. So, uh, yeah, I think the difference... If we talk about equine-assisted therapy or equine-assisted psychotherapy, there is a therapist, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm qualified to do that because I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I have training to partner with horses and do that. And I had somebody 
ask. I did a demo a couple of days ago and they were like, I just want to know if this is legit. Like, I want to know we're not just come out, going to come out here and pet horses and talk about their feet and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, you're going to get what you came for. I promise. Mm-hmm. And so I, sadly there are people that will call that therapy. And like you said, it is therapeutic. I call it, um, there's a, a, a magic science that happens with horses and it has to do with their biology and our, our biology. It's, it's the heart, um, the, the electromagnetic field that is projected by the heart, by our heart and by the horse's heart. And their heart rate and respiration is slower than ours. And their electromagnetic, I can't say that word, electromagnetic field. I just did it, man. Yeah, is bigger than ours. Mm -hmm. And so when we get close to a horse, our heart rate and our breathing slow down. And that is what regulation is, right? Yep. That's calmness. That's relaxation. So it's true. Just being around horses can relax you. Yep. It's Um, therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, But it's not figuring out why you're dysregulated to start with. Yeah, that's good. Which is more of where we go with the therapy side of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what I saw in my own work was... I, I'm really good at talking about everything. You know, I can talk, 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 talk. And, and after nine or 10 years of psychotherapy and well, 20 years of psychotherapy, nine years with the same guy, I hit this wall and I needed something more. And I, I needed to experience these feelings and these emotions in my body and have someone else kind of catch me in some things that I can intellectualize, but I couldn't really say, or really didn't know where they were connected mm-hmm. to. Um, and I think where equine therapy really helps is you do, you have this, this other partner in, in the process, the horse who's in a relationship with you and man, it's a, it's a safe space because the horse is not going to talk back to you. They're not going to yell at you. They're not going to, you know, right out, reject you with words. May Well, yeah, not with words. Right. <laughs> but they may in their body language and in what they mm-hmm. do. And, and so it's, for me, it was so interesting because there was a layer of, I thought I was getting this like horse. That's a tool that's going to do this whole, you know, I'm just going to pet it and it's going to feel good. And you know, all those kind of things. But reality was, is it made me realize how bad I was at some things with humans, mm-hmm. you know, that I didn't know how to ask for what I needed. And, and I was embarrassed to ask for what I needed and that I didn't really think anybody wanted to hang out with me. And it was all just, you know, just all these things. And so, I think that's, and that was without the horse talking back, right? I mean, obviously the therapist was there, um, but a lot of the therapist wasn't talking very much. You know, it wasn't like talk therapy. It wasn't like, hey, let me talk about this and intellectualize it for an hour. It was standing in the arena with this big 1,200-pound animal and processing what my body was feeling and my emotions were feeling and and all that. So that's, that's why I thought it's been so beautiful for people. It sounds like it gave you the time and space to come to that awareness on your own, mm-hmm. noticing your body and feeling your feelings. Absolutely. And it doesn't replace talk therapy, right? I mean, you can do both. You can go and have a session with the horse and your therapist, and then you go sit down and talk about what that made you feel like and where that come from and, and do some psychoeducation. And it's, it's both and. Um, 
But I guess I, what do you think in your work with people and with your with your own therapy and equine therapy? What's been maybe the the biggest beneficial things that you've seen that you can't get in the therapy room, in the talk therapy room? One thing I think is kind of what we're already talking about and. This is something that was definitely true for me and something that I got from my own work with horses that I don't know if I could have gotten in the therapy room. I live most of my life cut off from my emotions and my body. I was checked out. I am um, a victim of sexual assault from early on. And so it's common for victims of trauma like that to be or survivors of trauma. That's actually the word I prefer is a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, but being cut off from my body and not knowing what my body was telling me and being cut off, not like I said, my family, we didn't talk about emotions just wasn't on our radar. It's not something we did. Now we had emotions, but we didn't acknowledge them or talk mm-hmm. about them. And when you go through life stuck in the thinking part of your brain all the time, you miss out on so much information. Like I didn't know what was happening for me half the time because I was just trying to solve the problem in my head, whatever the problem was. It may have been an emotional problem, but I was trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. Intellectually. Yeah. Yeah. The solution. And so having to redefine the way I approached horses And to ask them what was going on, I had to learn how to get in my body and pay attention to those things. So equine work has helped me connect with myself in ways that I never have before. Because you have to access your limbic system and your body in order to connect with the horse. Yeah. So why is that? Why Why is that? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know how to answer that. Why can you redefine the question? Yeah. So why is that? Is that different with a horse or is just the horse? Um, like why, why is that different with sitting in therapy? Let's say in an office with a person. Yeah. Why is that so much different with the equine partner in relationship? I figured it out. Thank you. Thank you for redefining. Yeah. As you were talking, I realized, well, the answer is because I can't talk to the horse. Right. I can't use words and explain to the horse if they would just come with me now, we could get this done faster <laughs> and I could get on to the next thing. I mean, you can tell them that, but they're not going to listen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes away the, the verbal. It takes away the words. You, you can't um, you can't reason. <laughs> with a horse no and they're not concerned about the things that we're concerned about that's the beautiful thing for me i think in this in 2023 as we sit with all the phones and technology and disconnection i think the thing that i'm really excited about the next three to five years as we do this thing is man it gives people are going to want to run back to kind of the the old slower processing and we with with the with humans we don't have time Right. You're both people, even in a therapeutic relationship, you're like, we got 50 minutes. We got to get this done. I got to get you like you're you're on a American Western American, you know, Western time crunch when you're out there with the horse. Yes, there's a time constraint on the therapy session, but it's usually a little longer. Mm -hmm. You know, we're usually trying to do an hour, an hour and a half session. And 
the horse is not on any kind of time. Nope. They're not like the other human who's having to fight against. Like, even if you are a slower person, you're still fighting against like this desire to speed things up and get things done. Yeah. Even as a therapist, right? I mean, do you ever feel that pressure of like, I got to fix this for the person or, you know, I want to, I want to see them heal faster. I need to help. Yeah. I, I, I don't get in a hurry in therapy as much, but I do sometimes feel that I do feel that pressure. Um, it's kind of funny, Clint, that made me think of a funny thing that happens a lot in equine assisted therapy. I, I usually, once they've chosen a horse, there comes this time where I, I, I send the person out to do, I probably shouldn't give this away because it's usually such a rich teaching moment, but oh, well already started. So here we go. They'll forget. So, um, I'll send them out to do something with the horse. And I say send them out. I'm usually 15 or 20 feet away. And I really allow the person to try. And I think the longest anyone has ever really tried is about a minute, 45 seconds. <laughs> and so they usually come back. Sometimes they, uh, they get frustrated within that 35 seconds that they were over there or 45 seconds. And, and when they come back, I'm like, wow, you, you really tried hard at that. And I'll say, and they'll, they're like, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I mean, you tried for 48 seconds <laughs> and, and they're like, Oh, no, oh, absolutely. I had a friend last night, we were talking and everybody was sharing, speaking life over each other. And he, if you listen to this, you know, who I'm talking about, but nobody else does, uh, speaking life to each other. And, uh, he was, it was his turn us to speak life over him. And then he was like, okay, moving, you know, move on to the next person. And, uh, he's like, I'm sweating, you know? And, I, and we were all laughing and we we're like, dude, you lasted like two seconds of us. He was like, no, that was a lot. I feel like we've been talking about me for like a very long time, you know? And it was like, yeah. it's the same thing when we're in the hot seat or when we're doing something that's really uncomfortable, it feels like an eternity, mm -hmm. you know? And I remember that, you know, standing in the arena, same thing. She's like, okay, we're going to connect with the horse, you know, get the horse to connect with you and come to you. And I'm, I'm like slapping my legs, you know, my legs were stinging from me. Like it's a dog, you know, I'm like whistling at it and telling it, come here, come, you know, come here, come, you know, just, just feeling like a complete idiot. But man, what that brought up in me was so rich to work with, you know, and you can't do that intellectually talking about it. Right. Right. It really requires you to get into your body and it brings up feelings that because you're not talking about it and you're not trying to impress a person or you're not trying to look a certain way mm, or do a so certain good. thing, you're you're right there. You're in the moment. And yes, you're trying to do a thing, but the thing isn't what's important. It's it's what you're learning about yourself. Right. Which we call a task, right? Like in equine yeah. therapy, we, we say you're task oriented. You're looking at getting the horse to walk around this thing or mm -hmm. eat from the bucket or, you know, you're cleaning the horse or whatever that, you know, we're all of us in America, especially are so task oriented. Yes. Get the thing done, go to the next thing, get, you know, get the coffee, get out of the door, get to work, go home, make the grades. And we miss all of the relational piece that's that's going on in between there. Yeah. Well, and I know, like, for me, I was performance-based for most of my life. Like, I existed in task mode. Mm -hmm. That I thought that's who I was. I thought that was all there was to life, was task mode. You have to do the things. you got to check this box. Because nobody cares about your emotions. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No one, what are those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, and so getting out of that was, I even used to relate to my horses like that. Like, oh, we have to go practice because I'm a competitor. I like to go fast, run barrels, uh, team pinning, different kinds of competitions. And those are, those are tasks, you know, that's performance. It's, it's all based on what you're doing and, and getting into this now, it's more about who I am and, and being, mm. being present in the moment. Yeah. Um, we're, and I, we're a human being, not a human doing. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And it's nice. It's nice to be being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen you grow so much in the last two years, just, you know, in just, you were already a pretty calm person, but like, man, you really have settled into who you are as a therapist, who you are here mm-hmm. as a friend, as a coworker, you know, you know, we've worked through some things and, and figuring out, you know, our fears around this and our stressors around this. And it's been really cool to see, you know, just this season of like trusting God and waiting on him and not being mm-hmm. rushed and knowing he's going to work it out. And if, if this is what we think is as good as it is, then he's going to be for it. And, you know, that's been fun. Yeah. Thank you, Clint. I, um, let me just say, I love, love, love being a counselor. Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea, like this is what a career could be like. I, I know that I was called to this because of how much I enjoy it now and mm-hmm. how much I, I don't, I, I think I've told you before, my office is like my happy place. Like, I want to come to work. I love it. And whether there are people there or not, if it's just me, I like to be in my office by myself. I'm okay with that. I can get things done doing. But I can also be at peace there. Um, And I have really enjoy helping people work through things. Um, And I definitely feel in the past six years, I've grown so much. I, I don't want to discount how much my education grew me too. I think I went to tech, Louisiana tech and on their website, there was this quote that I thought was really interesting at the time. And it stuck with me because it's so true. It's like the goal of edu and I'm going to misquote it, I'm sure. But the goal of education is to take a closed mind and make it open. Mm-hmm. And it definitely did that for me. Just some of the shifts that I experienced through the master's, and counseling program were huge for me learning to accept myself and getting out of black and white thinking. Like I would encourage anyone who thinks they want to be a counselor, go to school. It's, it's a journey itself mm-hmm. of growth and, and then working. Whew. It's such a great team. I work on here too. I appreciate how you give us all the freedom to do what we're called to do. And, and that's not, um, it's not common, I don't think, in a lot of practices. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. It's fine. Y'all, y'all make it easy. I mean, dealing with humans is always um, complicated in the, um, as a two and a leader. You know, it's funny, you know, being a two, three on the Enneagram, and I want you all to feel loved. I want you to feel all, all supported, you know. And so it's, it's grown me in, in ways of maturing me in areas that, you know, I needed to be stronger in or I needed to have you know, better boundaries in or, you know, whatever. And man, it's been, it's still, it continues to be fun. We were meeting this morning, me and Andy and Lyle and Sam, who are our biblical counselors. And we were just talking through scripture and, you know, what is counseling and what is biblical counseling versus psychotherapy? And, and it's just, you know, it's the relational pieces. You know, if we look at scripture and we look at what God wants for us, he, 
he wants for us to have a relationship with him. And then he wants for us to have a relationship with each other. And there's this, uh, there's these two parts of confession. It says, confess yourselves to the Lord and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then there's another verse that says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Wow. And so it's interesting that he doesn't say, confess yourself to me and you're going to be healed. Although you, you can be, Mm -hmm. he's saying the healing really comes in the relationship. Yeah. And why? Because you were given the Holy spirit. And so you were not having to plead to a God who is distant and, and beg for forgiveness from a God who's distant. He, he God lives in us. Mm-hmm. And so as Christians, he's, he's with us when we're together having this podcast, when we're together talking, when we're drinking coffee, when we're having fun, when we're riding horses, whatever God is present in our body, in our moment. <clears throat> and I think that's the beauty of equine therapy is it's, it's a lot more about your body and being in the moment and being in the present. And God can show up in ways that I think are beautiful and I think we do that for each other here as a staff. We know that, right? It's it, We're all going from the same purpose. We're trying to do that for our clients all day. We know what each other are doing. I wish a lot of churches had that same relationship. You know, I've heard that from a lot of you guys, and especially the pastoral th- counselors. It's like, man, I was on a church staff, and we just didn't have these relationships. We weren't living them out. It's it's because of the structure. Mm-hmm. There, there aren't those expectations. There's the business model sometimes. And again, that's not all churches. There's lots of amazing churches. But I think as a Christian community, whether that's in a church or in a business or in a family, the principles are still the same. Yeah. Sometimes the structure of how it lays out. And, and you know, you know this, we talked about it, but, you know, it is a business ultimately what we do. Mm-hmm. But, man, I just really try to keep that, that this is a ministry first, that you have to have your relationship with God and with Christ and be walking in the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the details are going to work itself out. And personality differences and times and hard conversations. I mean, if we're all coming from the point of we're wanting people to change heart, mind, and soul and body, then the little things aren't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the therapists that are here, they have that mentality and they, they work really hard to do that every day. And y'all do a great job with your clients. I mean, you know, starting this practice, man, thinking about referring people to you guys, like that's the scariest thing on earth. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh man, yeah, go see this person who I just hired. And so, you know, it's like, they'll call to see me and I'm like, I guess go, you know, in the beginning. And now it's like, man, I will, you know, like I would send my wife or kids to you. And that's a very, like, that's an amazing that's a great compliment. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that with everybody who's on staff that um, I don't want to have anybody here who I wouldn't send my best friend to, Yeah, you know, and for you, you particularly you got a special place in my heart with all this stuff and just the growth we've had through this process of equine and in this richness of our own testimonies and stories. And, and ultimately it's a story of God and how good and sweet he is. Absolutely. There's a new uh, Corey Asbury song called kind. I haven't heard it. Oh, it's so good. Um, Chip maybe can add it in, but I can't. I just started listening to it like literally yesterday. Yeah. But it's he, he said something like, you know, I shout, I've shouted and cursed your name. I've, you know, rejected. I've ran away. I've been angry. And all you've ever been is kind. Mm. And it's just it's just this yeah. thing where he's just talking through like, man, I've hurt. Life is life is struggle. There's good. There's bad. And I've had all forms of responses to you, God, about this life. Mm-hmm. And all you've ever done is be kind. Yeah. And um, and I feel like that. I feel like in in spite of our failures and struggles and fears, you know, he's so kind to, to like 
we look back on our story and see how he was there the whole time. He was knitted together. You know, he was yeah right beside you when you were depressed and lost and not knowing what was going on. He yeah. was same with me, you know. Yeah. And even when I was far from God, because that was a that was a, a hard about fifteen years when I was just straight up running from God. There were times now I can look back on and see where he had me, even though I I would have denied him. Like mm-hmm. he was still with me even in that. And um it's hard to think about that sometimes and i think about you know i'm like paul i'm i'm the worst of all sinners yeah like i'm that's that's who who i was and i still yeah chief among yeah i uh i feel the same way i think that and i think well i know you well enough to know that it's Paul's stance wasn't this like deplorable shaming, lashing himself. Mm-mm. It was a humility that goes, I recognize who I am and in, in the in light of a holy good God. Yeah. And he had Paul had a history too of persecuting Christians. I mean Oh my he, gosh, yeah. He that's one thing that I love about the Bible, and that's one of the growth pieces I've done over the last twenty years is read the Bible. I've I've done the Bible in a year several times and it's so different. I get more out of it every time. But one of the biggest things I get is that the, God's people, man, you act up. What a I mean, if you look at just the Israelites to start with, all that <laughs> they're a whole hot mess. Yeah. And then David, his chosen guy, woo. Mercy, that's like a racy story of David and and Bathsheba and murder and like over and over again, God's people, they weren't perfect. Mm -mm. And, And then I think that's where sometimes churches can fail because they try to look perfect. Mm-hmm. They try to check all the boxes and they get performance based and and they don't want somebody that looks different coming there because what will people think? Yep. And that's not who God is. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, God wants anybody coming there. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Who are we to judge what somebody else has been through or is going through or is suffering with? And I have so much compassion for people who are far from God that... um I don't I don't ever want somebody to think I'm too good to talk to them or that mm-hmm. because I'm saved I can't talk to them. It's quite the opposite. Yep. Like I have more compassion now for the the lost and the hurting. People that are hurting, that's who I feel the most compassion for. Yeah. And if you did something and you feel bad, yeah, let's talk about that. Absolutely. And join the club. Uh, yeah. You know. Right? Been there. Still there. Still do it. <laughs> yep. Um, any closing thoughts or comments you want to say to the listeners about anything? I don't know. I feel like we should rack, wrap up with something really equine, but I don't know what. I'm trying to think of a good equine story. Yeah. You know, I, I think one thing that has stood out for me on this journey, specifically with natural lifemanship, ah, is that... It's a modality for helping people heal from trauma. It is trauma-focused, trauma-informed. 
And so the model itself is very different than what horse people believe is horsemanship or it's not horse training. It's Mm -hmm. not riding. The horse is not a tool. Um, And I've struggled with reconciling the two because I, I was a horse person. I am a horse person. I ride horses. I know sometimes you have to be task focused. Sometimes you have to put the fly spray on the horse, whether the horse wants the fly spray or not. Yep. Um, and so I just to fill in for people that don't know, yeah. and sometimes in natural lifemanship, they would give the horse the choice and the consent the entire time. Always. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the same. Uh, I think it's the same balance with like, when I hear somebody come back from like TBRI training, trauma-based relational interventions or mm-hmm. however they, mm-hmm. whatever it stands for. Um, and they're like, Oh my gosh, these poor kids who have been traumatized, you know, we need to treat them like this. And I'm like, well, just treat all kids like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, why are we going to, you know, be trauma informed for this one group? Mm-hmm. And then we get the polarizations. It's like, well, you should never be frustrated with your kid and discipline them because you got a gentle parent and let them do whatever they want to and have all these feelings. And it's like, no, sometimes the kid has to eat whatever it is is in front of them. And sometimes they have to get in the car seat and sometimes they need to put their shoes on. If they don't in their space, certainly be therapeutic and take mm-hmm. your time and build that relationship. But sometimes the relationship is you need to understand what I need you to do and we need to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a hard balance it is, you know. especially if when you step into the realm of riding a horse, um, if if I'm riding, I feel like I need some agency over where my horse goes and what my horse does. They don't get to make all the choices in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also go in the pasture now and ask my horse, hey, can I get on and get them to walk? I mean, I say get them to. They will come with me to a a mounting block and they'll stand there and let me get on them with nothing and we can walk around the pasture we can trot around the pasture we can just do things and i can let them go where they want to go and we are connected in that we're not um i'm not the leader i don't have to be the leader with traditional horsemanship there's this mentality that we always have to be the leader Mm -hmm. and you have to be assertive and the alpha yeah and and that like that served me well when I was a teenager and I needed some agency over what was happening in my life. That was therapeutic for me at the time. Um, now with natural lifemanship, it's a different take. It's a relationship of equality basically. Mm -hmm. And it's used for healing because if we take someone who has been, um, traumatized or been a victim and we put them of a, the in the position of an aggressor then all we've done is move them from victim to perpetrator mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily healing and I, I get that that's one of the reasons is principle based it's based on the relationship and you're talking about building a relationship and one of the reasons you can't do it fast is because have you ever built a relationship fast? Right. It takes time. And it takes time for us, like for me starting out, just building a relationship with myself took time. And I had to do that because like I said, I couldn't talk to the horse and them know what I was saying. I had to find it internally. Mm-hmm. I had to 
think and feel internally, hey, I want to be with you. I want you to come over here. Come with me. Let me put a little pressure on you and see if you will respond by coming with me um, rather than with that, with regular horsemanship. Pressure is to make to make a reaction, not a response. Mm-hmm. And it's so nuanced and so different. And I, I love helping people explore that. It almost makes it harder, though, for horse people to really understand the model. Yeah, it's almost like people who have been in the church for a very long time. Ooh. Right? They've been in the church for a long time. They know the system. They know you show up, you do this, you show up to this thing. And then they see something that seems a little radical or a little different. You know, I won't get on a big tangent about it, but it's it's kind of the spanking conversation where, you know, that's just everybody's main discipline. You know, their their kids do something wrong, you spank them because that's what you're supposed to do. Spare mm-hmm. the rod, spool the child, which isn't even in the Bible, but that's beside the point. You know, there's this mode that's like, that's what you do. And then somebody comes in and goes, well, actually, you know, God's shown us through science that your kid needs to regulate. And so maybe you should sit with them and listen to them. Mm-hmm. And, and well, no, kids need to be obedient. Right, they need to listen. They they're being defiant. They need to listen, and they're not. So we're going to give them a consequence. And you know, again, I'm not taking a stance. I'm just saying there's a nuanced conversation there that this person has been entrenched in this philosophy and this belief system and this way of parenting children for so long that it's almost like they're they're begging to get to spank their kid. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. still they're like what ha- what you're saying is I'll lose all control and all authority if I'm nice to them and kind to them in these yeah. moments. And it's like, no, what we're asking you to do is, is switch your, the percentage of which you use this one versus this one and see how this actually makes the kid feel safe and breathing with them and giving them tools. That's not taking away this other tool. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, some might argue for that. You, you're saying you can keep that tool, but let's put like 10 other tools in your tool belt. Yes. I think it would be the same thing with, Horsemanship, like you don't have to throw completely out that sometimes you have to ride your horse a certain way or make them do something or put fly spray on them or put them in the truck or whatever it is. Yeah. Because there's life. Sure. But there's a lot of times where that's not necessary for you to use power and control in order to get the thing done. Right. And it's much easier if they're cooperating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so with kids, you know, you, you punish them. And yeah, they may listen in the moment, but a lot of times they're not They're It's going to make everything worse and last longer in my own life. I felt, you know, sometimes I'm like bedtime, for example, or snack time or something. I'm like, I'm going to hold to this rule that I said, or I'm going to hold to this thing and I'm not going to let them get away with it. And I'm not, and then it's 45 minutes of me trying to hold them to it and going back and forth and giving them the consequence and there's tears. And you know what ends up happening? I have to sit with them and emote with them and calm them down and love on them. If I'd have just done that the first five minutes, it would have been over with. Yeah. But something in my brain is like, no, don't do that or X, Y, Z is going to happen. And I think it's very similar. It's Mm -hmm. that fear of like losing complete control into this therapeutic chaos that people think, you know, being therapeutic brings for some reason. Mm. Um, And again, there's a lot of ways in which that's handled poorly. But yeah, I think think it's interesting that I think the, the problem's still the the same problem with horses and with people. Oh yeah. And I think it, it, it brings up the idea that with horsemanship, the objective is to, for me to be in control 
and for me to manage what the horse does. When I take that away, what if I can trust the horse to control and manage themselves Mm -hmm. and I control and manage myself. And then we both get to make a choice about whether or not we do this thing together. Yeah. Um, And let me tell you, it is so amazing to be chosen by a horse and have a horse come with you because they want to. And, Go, and, you, and you know it. Yes. You feel it. And you stand. You can. That horse will go. I'll tell. Uh, can I tell a Willie Willy story? Please, do yeah. we have time for a yeah, Willie story? Me and Willie. Willie's my youngest horse. He's nine. So he's not even young anymore. But I, I've done a lot of this work with him. And because he's my emotional child, none of my other horses are emotional, but Willie is super emotional. And so I've also spent more time asking Willie about his feelings than any of my other horses because I've been doing this work. And there was a time when I'm going through the certification process where I'm going out and I'm working with him every day. And it's getting old because he and I are both getting bored with these little baby steps that we're taking. And so one day I was like feeling defeated and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to go out here and work with Willie. I'm working on getting this video done. So I meander all the way back to the back where Willie is and he's back there with the other horses. And I go up to him and I put a little pressure on asking him to connect with me. And he takes off, like not at a run, but at a trot away from me. And for a second I was like, "Ugh, I'm so tired of doing this. And then I watched him go into the round pen. Guess what? That's where we were going the whole time. Like I came out there to get him to go to the round pen. And we had done that pretty much every day that week. And I took it as rejection when he left me. But he actually left me to go do the thing because Mm. he wanted to. And um, yeah, my, my heart got really big on that one. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing this thing. I know how like he's he is connected with me. Yeah, um, that's such a great story because it, that's so much of our marriages and our parenting and, and all those kind of things is we have these when we're not in our bodies and we're dysregulated, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, somebody reacts. They walk away. They put the dishes up. They slam something down. They slam the drawer. They, you know, cry. And, you know, whatever. And it's about us instead of you know what they have their own stuff going on that is has nothing to do with maybe what we reacted. And if we're connected and can have a conversation, then maybe we can find that out. Mm. Maybe we can be curious. Yeah. Maybe we can explore with the other person what's going on with them. And okay, I see this behavior. And instead of responding and reacting to it, I can go, Hey, tell me about that. Like, are you upset? Like what, what's going on with you? What, what, what am I missing? Yeah. You know, what, what am I missing in, in your behaviors and your actions? Cause, and then they go, Oh no, I'm not mad at all. And, tired or I'm whatever. I mean, JC and I talked about this like yesterday. I'm like, Hey, what, what's up? You know, like what's going on with you? What's, what's going on? It's not like a, what's going on. It's a sincerely like what's going on. She's like, why? And I'm like, well, you know, it seems like you're frustrated, you know? And she's like, Oh no, I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. I'm not feeling great. My throat hurts. I'm like, Oh, okay. So now I'm going to ignore anything that looks like frustration with me and stop being sensitive and just do our day and, you know, move on. Mm Mm-hmm. And that takes practice and time. And I don't always do it that way for sure. Uh, Sometimes I get extremely hurt and sensitive, but I think being able to lean into those relational pieces, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. 
and it takes us being on the same for the same goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we get to do with the horses. And that's what, you know, if you're listening to this and this is something you're interested in, uh, me and Amanda both um, can do this. We do it together. We do it as individuals, families, couples, kids. Um, so reach out to us, send us an email, go on our website and check out our equine page. Um, and we'd love to help you out, love to work with you and your family. Um, I know it's hot in Louisiana, but honestly, you don't really notice. We did a session yet yesterday or day before, no, Monday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't even think about it being hot because you're just connected and out there. And, and I think we need that. Um, so, yeah, Amanda, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story and Thanks your life with us. Me. Absolutely. Love you and appreciate you. Yeah. Happy, 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 happy. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Um, have a good week and God bless you.